What is a flourishing community and how do you build one? We talk about that and more on today's podcast. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. When you're in a group where there's positive competition, that means that you can look at people around you and say, I don't have to have strengths or be strong in the same way that the people around me are strong. Their strengths are their strengths and I don't have to compete with their strengths. My strengths are my strengths and together we can all do better. We can raise up the entire level of the group with all of these different strengths instead of trying to compete against them. Yeah, and almost even get to a place of gratitude of thank God that there are people that are stronger in areas where I'm not because those are my people. You know, those are the people I need to go to to say, hey, did you understand this? Or how do you do X, Y, and Z? Because for them, it might just come as second nature. Whereas for me, it's really not within my day to day. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm really excited about this journey that I have started, my master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. In fact, the founder of the field, Marty Seligman, is one of my professors, and that is still very surreal. I just got back from a six-week trip, so we left on August 1st to go to Colorado. And if you listened to some previous episodes, you heard about the Women's Cycling Summit and the Breck Epic. And you know that I did the Grand Traverse about a week and a half ago. And I meant to share about that on this podcast, but I think that that would make the podcast be all over the place. So I will save that for another day. And I'm excited to share those stories because I failed at the trail running race. And I don't say failed in a negative way. And I want to talk about what that means and how I viewed it, because I think that could be really helpful for many of us moving forward. So after my trip to Colorado, which we were there for about five weeks, we had a whirlwind to continue with our plans. And I'm telling you this because a lot of times we will say that we can't do something because it seems impossible. And sometimes it is. But in this case, we really wanted to prioritize doing everything. So what that meant was after the Grand Traverse in Crested Butte, the next day (laughs) after doing a 40-mile trail running race and a 40-mile mountain bike race back-to-back, We drove across Colorado with our three-year-old and our one-year-old and to the airport and flew back to Vancouver. So that was a very long day with everybody and the kids did really well. They probably did better than Matt and I. Matt and the kids drove back home because Bradley had his first day of school, of preschool, the very next day. And me, I stayed at a hotel at the airport because the very next morning I was flying out to Philadelphia to start my first day of school. So it was an interesting juxtaposition because the month of August, I was very focused on racing and on spending time with family, and that had intensity in its own ways, to switching to completely academic and social connections. And there was another type of intensity associated with that. So we had an immersion week. So it was five days of 10 to 12 hours a day of lectures and community building and all kinds of wonderful things. And 
my brain is very full. You'll hear in this podcast, I'm not as uh, coherent as I normally am because I was having trouble putting together sentences and, and maybe you won't even notice. But a lot of us had that experience after this immersion week, we were, our brains were so full that of content and material that we had to digest. And I feel like I'm finally starting to get to a place where I'm able to do that. My biggest takeaway from immersion week wasn't the individual concepts that I learned, but it was the power of the community that was built in only five days. And that's why I wanted to talk about what is a flourishing community today. It only makes sense that something like this would happen at the world's leading center for positive psychology. And getting to see it unfold right in front of us was very transformative. I did a little search on flourishing communities, and I pulled up a study by Goodman et al. And there's one definition in their abstract about this, and I wanted to share it because it was so well-written. It's a bit of a long sentence, but I think that it really drives home the point of what a flourishing community is. So I'll read it to you. Flourishing communities are generative, supportive, resilient, compassionate, curious, responsive, and self-determined, and they build resources across economic, social, educational, and health domains. Most people objectively understand that, but how do you put that into practice? Well, that's why I wanted to sit down with my classmate and colleague, Eileen Schaefer, who is an executive coach and leads Silicon Valley Change, a positive psychology-based leadership development company. She is also the podcast host of What's Possible, which I highly encourage you to check out. She also has a master's in counseling psychology. There are 51 people in our program that were hand-selected by a rigorous process, and I was very excited that I got into the University of Pennsylvania, which is actually an Ivy League school. And this might be a little bit funny to some of you, but I applied to this program and I actually did not know that the University of Pennsylvania was an Ivy League school. <laughs> so that was pretty funny when I found that out. That said, there are so many incredible people in our cohort from various backgrounds and various educations. And that enriches our community so much because of all of the different perspectives that people can bring. There are a couple of other things that I noticed about our community. Number one, the range of age is very, very wide. There's people that just came out of undergrad, and there's people who are in their mid to late 60s in our program. The median age, and this is just a guess, is probably in the 40s somewhere. So not only do we have a difference of background from different countries and different professional backgrounds in education, but also age. Another thing I notice is that many people already have an advanced degree. For many people, this is their second master's degree. And even for some, this is their third master's degree. So there is a lot of different people with expertise and, and deep expertise in certain areas. I also found it entertaining that I wasn't the only one with a master's degree in engineering. There are other people in our group that have master's degrees in engineering who became interested in positive psychology. It makes me think of the limits that we put on ourselves. Sometimes we think that there's the sunk cost, that we've already spent time in one profession, or we've already gone to school and got a master's degree in something, so therefore we can't go back or we shouldn't go back. And there's even a little bit of shame around going back, maybe. I, I was a little bit embarrassed that this is my second master's degree, but when I started seeing other people who were doing the same thing, I actually felt better. So it's never too late to continue growing your education or even to shift your profession. Number two, you're never too old. Like I mentioned, there are people in their 60s in this program, which I think is amazing. And I hope that I'm still growing and reaching for more when I'm in my 60s too. A lot of us think that 
we're too old to take on something new or we're too old to change. And that's just not the case. Another thing that really stands out to me is everybody here has a successful career that they are navigating while they're going to school. And a lot of us will set the limit of, I don't have enough time. I'm not able to do it. And if something is important to you, you can make the time. So you hear that we have an amazing group of people, but how was this group of people facilitated from an educator and professor's perspective? Well, we'll get into that too. I highly encourage you to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player if you're enjoying the show. And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends as that is the best way to get all of this great information on high performance and well-being out into the world. So here is Eileen and I talking about what we experience in being a part of building a flourishing community and our key takeaways on how you can do that too. Eileen, my fellow mapster, podcaster, and coach, <laughs> welcome. Thank you, Sonia. It is such a treat to get to be here with you at our home instead of in Philadelphia. I know. And um, I'm so excited to get to share the insights of this incredible immersion week that we had at the University of Pennsylvania in the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Let's see. It's funny. We literally both, the two of us just got home from this amazing learning opportunity. And I feel like my brain is swirling. So now to answer actually what should be an easy question might take me more, <laughs> more, more effort than usual. So I, in terms of my professional background, I do executive coaching. And then I also lead an executive coaching firm. And we work specifically with, uh, senior leaders and organizations on leadership development, one-to-one coaching, and helping leaders really optimize their ability to lead their organizations. All of the people on our team come from a positive psychology background, which is exactly what the two of us are studying. And so we always weave the science of well-being into all of the coaching that we do, because as you and I both know, that well-being piece is essential for us to show up as best as possible, both in the work environment as well as in life in general. So that's a bit about our company. I am calling in from San Diego, California, where the weather is so much more delightful than the steamy hotness in Philadelphia. And um, coming off of just a huge high of being together with a bo bunch of strangers who immediately became friends. And that's what I want to talk about today. Building a flourishing community, which is something that I'm sure that you practice in your executive coaching and in the firm, because when you're working with leaders, you have to help them thrive so that they can help others do the same. But something that I found really incredible was that in our program, there was 50 people or 51, 50 to 51 people selected for this group. And they had a rigorous process to make these selections. And it appeared to me that every single person there was somebody that highly valued connection. Everybody walked mm -hmm. around with eyes open, looking to make eye contact, looking to find a way to relate, looking for a high quality connection. And as a group, we got to define values for our group. That was that was some of the exercises woven into some of this these educational lectures was what is our values as a group? And then there was an opportunity to further develop vulnerability in a safe way as a group, which we can talk about. And the combination of those things seem to create an alchemy that 
made a thriving community in a very short period of time. I mean, I felt like after a day, we were already very connected. And I said to my husband that it was like, I now have 50 best friends and not not in an exaggeration. I, I literally feel like I have 50 best friends. And the positive psychology, the field of positive psychology was founded at the University of Pennsylvania. This is the the hub for for many of the research coming out to help the world thrive and flourish. And they're practicing it on us while they teach us how to do it. So, you know, Eileen, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what your experience was like. Yeah, you know, it's it really is interesting to think about the evolution of connection throughout the five days that we were together. And as you talk about it, I think there were some key elements that made this environment fertile for connection. And one of the things that the faculty did from day one, which when I think about leadership development, when I think about being an effective leader and building culture, it ties right back into that. And it's setting the tone, the expectation and the environment for trust. And they set it up right out the gate for psychological safety to really feel like you belong. As James said, you are needed. There were key things that they talked about that made us feel like we are supposed to be here. And when you take an Ivy League education where a lot of us didn't go Ivy League undergrad and all of a sudden you're thrown in and you feel like, oh my gosh, is this going to be cutthroat? And then you walk into an environment that is so nurturing, so loving, so caring. It gets everybody, it allows people to let their shields down so that you really can connect on a deeper level. And I think that's something that we can take into our homes, into our schools, and into our work environments, is what what are we doing to open that door for connection when we bring people into our homes or our environments? And so I really have to kind of high five the crew that really set the format for our initial meetings together as a cohort, because they allowed for that to grow. Yeah, I love that you said trust. And they also gave us the autonomy to create the values and set the tone of the group. But the leaders of the program set the tone themselves. So a lot of times, leadership tone is set at the top by how the leaders are interacting with others. And Every single person who is an instructor or a staff member embodied exactly what the group embodied by the end. <laughs> this this warmth, this humility, this yes. this meeting everybody where they are instead of talking down to somebody and building a hierarchy. And of course, we respect the leaders of this program, but they also created a bridge so that we don't view them as completely other. Yeah, you know, and to that point, I just had a vision of Marty Seligman, who is one of the main thought leaders in positive psychology, who really created this program. And most people know about positive psychology because of Marty Seligman. He's written everything from authentic happiness to learn helplessness to the hope circuit. And to watch him in our classes, he's one of our faculty members, to watch him in our classes not only as a teacher, but also as a student and asking questions. We just for your audience, they bring into this program the thought leaders across the spectrum to teach us about the science of well being. And so, in Dr. Seligman's class, he brings in really amazing leadership to teach us. 
the whole time he's on the edge of his seat, raising his hand, asking questions and perusing, you know, walking around the class so that when a student either has something that they want to share or a question they want to ask, he's right in front of them so he can listen and learn from them. And I think that also sets the tone when you have somebody who you assume knows pretty much everything they could know about positive psychology and they are coming in as a learner and wanting to grow and experience as part of this community, that sets a pretty powerful tone for the group dynamic. Yeah, that was so incredible to see. I was blown away by that. And the fact that you can never know too much, you can never know everything, that you're always in a process of learning, no matter who you are, even if you're one of the top leaders in the field of psychology, which was incredible. And I also was really inspired by his flexibility because he's 80 years old. Many people who are 80 are not involved at the top level in an Ivy League school leading research. <laughs> Just you don't, And that's such a great example for what it means to have meaning and purpose as you age. And by no means do people need to be doing what he's doing when they're 80, but still finding that thing that lights you up. And his ability to be flexible with his beliefs and to question things, like he did that speech for us. And he said in the last three months, he's we've uncovered something that's going to change humanity forever. And that's AI and the willingness of him to want to explore that and go all in on that. That inspired me because when I heard, first heard of AI, which wasn't too long ago, I, w- I was resistant to adopt it, hesitant about it. And Marty is adopting it. Our program is adopting it. And that was an eye opener for me. Yeah, I I agree. It's one of those things where you could think, ah, oh, well, I'm just I'm not I'm hesitant about AI or I'm not so so hot on it. You don't really have a choice at this point. So your choice is to lean in and figure out how can I use this to optimize whatever I'm doing to be stronger, to be better, to be more thoughtful, whatever that looks like or miss the boat completely. But I think it's it's in our best interest to hop on and figure out how can I use this tool in a positive way and to make greater impact in the world in which we live. So something else, I'm just looking at my notebook because at the end of class, the very last 30 minutes, they asked everybody what their takeaways were. And it was a very collaborative, collaborative environment with many voices. So I wrote down a bunch of them. And that just had me thinking about the power of the group itself. Because I, I think this is a new field. You know, I think positive psychology was, quote, invented by Marty Seligman in 1998. Did I get the date right? Do you know? Right, right around there, 98, 99. Yeah. Yeah. And many of us have been lifting up rocks, like trying to find words to describe this phenomenon of, of what it means to live a good life, what these processes are. Most people that we talk to don't know what the word positive psychology means. So to come into a group where everybody has a a similar mission and people speak the same language and people share the share that mission, it's just it's hard for me to put words to it. I'm hoping that you can help me. Yeah. Like what, what is that experience? How do you put that into words? Yeah. You know, it's 
I come a little bit from a unique perspective because our company has so many graduates from our program. So I have this (laughs) privilege of getting to be immersed in it in our work. Um, However, I do. And it makes me think about the podcasts that your most recent podcast. And I remember he, Charlie, that's the name. Charlie Engel, yeah. Yes, Charlie Engel. Thank you. He said, you know, really pay attention to who you're surrounding yourself with. And I think that's something that, Tying it back to this is you walk into a room like like this and we know emotions are contagious. And so we know that when you're surrounding yourself with people who lift you up, you'll you'll in turn be lifting others up. And so it's a very it's. It's an experience like no other to be around people who really have a common goal of putting more good into the world. And I think one thing for your listeners who aren't familiar with positive psychology, it's really easy to think, you know, I'm not so big on, you know, let's be happy all day or some people call it happyology or (laughs) toxic positivity. And it's that is not what we're talking about. Just to be clear, when you look at positive, when you look at positive psychology, we're talking about north of neutrals. So uh, my original master's is actually in counseling psychology. And what traditional therapy or counseling does is it diagnose mental illness. And that's south of neutral, if you will. Positive psychology, the goal really was how do we know if someone's flourishing and how, what are some lessons we can take to take people from neutral into that positive zone? And so now imagine a whole class that that is our whole focus is to look for what's right, look for what's working and how do we get more of that? And more importantly, how do we spread that to other people? And it really, it does, it creates a ripple effect that can give you chills. (laughs) Yeah, it made me think of Barb Fredrickson's word, positivity resonance. We all talk about, oh, that thing really resonated with me or that person really resonated with me and the power of resonance. And um, Barb Fredrickson also talks about the upward spiral of how positive emotions creates an upward spiral. So collectively, you can build an even bigger upward spiral and stronger resonance whenever you have a group that is doing something like that. So for people listening, they're like, oh, that sounds awesome, you know, but that's that's not the world that I live in. You know, the, I'm not in this in the zone. I want to create that in the zone that I'm in. So how do I create that? And I'm trying to think back to the steps of how they built that. We talked about the leadership and how from day one, the moment one, they presented in a certain way. But they also encourage participation from the group. And there are a number of things that they did so that people's voices felt heard. But one of the interventions that that they did was a positive introduction. And that's something um, mm-hmm. that most of us probably haven't done with people that we just met. So the positive introduction was we had to pick a story that was impactful from our life that shifted things for us. And then we had to tell somebody about it. And people listening might not think that's a very big deal. But whenever you just meet somebody, not everybody is is open and wanting to to share stuff right away with people they yeah. just met. And um, I'd love to hear, Eileen, about about your experience with the positive introductions. But I'll I'll tell my experience was we were put in groups. Well, first we had everybody. We had a, a, a circle of chairs with 50 people. And there were some things that were done before that um, to prime us, you know, to be in, in a receptive mood to do this. But there was a group of 50 people. One person's name was drawn out of a hat. 
to share a story, to share their positive introduction, which required an incredible amount of courage to get Mm. up in front of a group and share something vulnerable. And then we got to, as a group, help that person savor moments of, of that story that they told us where we noticed the person lighting up. And then as a group, we got to reflect back strengths that we heard from that person. And that really was a moving example for us. And I guess I'll stop there because Eileen, I don't want to talk the whole time. I want to hear what you thought of the positive introduction in the circle of 50 people. Yeah. One thing that I love that the question or when, um, one of the asks of us as the group of 50, and, and then when we broke out into smaller groups where we each shared ours and um, with a small group of three, four, five people, where we started before we went into strengths was help the person who has just shared deepen their experience of what they just shared. And I love that question because it becomes not about you as the listener, but about you as a person who has shared. So an example of that would be when the person shares that they, let's say, they, they're they sharing about their first time public speaking. I'm just making this up. And instead of asking a question that's important for me, like, oh, did you get public speaking training? Where did you go? Which would be really about me. That's not in the, in the best interest of the person who just shared. But instead saying, wow, that must have been, you know, obviously it required a lot of bravery. What changed in you when you stood up and spoke to that group for the first time so that the person can go a little bit deeper in their experience and realize, wow, they have some aha moments of this shifted in me. This is what it required. Again, going back to your last podcast with Charlie, he talks a lot about curiosity and adversity. And I think all of these stories that people shared have some adversity that they are sharing. That's part of that positive introduction. And then for the people listening to be curious, but ask curious questions that will help the individual dig deeper. And then we bopped, bopped, or then we moved into strengths that we saw in that person. So then, it, and just to watch the individual just lift up, you almost felt like you were filling them up with helium. Yeah, like the the communication we talked about, like, what does it mean to be a good listener? What does it mean to give a good response when somebody is telling you something that is particularly important or vulnerable to them? And I'll send people to a podcast I recorded a couple months ago called How to Be a Better Communicator, where a bunch of the stuff is covered, reflecting what the person said, reflecting back to them what they said, which is a big thing that we do in coaching, asking an open-ended question that isn't about you. Um, And having an active, constructive response, which is also in that how to be a better communicator. And I think that that was really important to set the tone again for how are we going to be responding to people? How are we going to be listening to people? Because the groups were able to take those skills and apply them. And I think that built even more rapport as a group or individual groups. Yeah, definitely. And I think kind of going a little bit further on that rapport piece, what these positive introductions also did, it got rid of the fluff, the fluff of, you know, hi, my name's Eileen, and this is what I do. This is where I live, kind of like what I shared at the beginning of this podcast. However, we we don't have time, obviously, to go into deep, deep introductions. But when you are forming a community, whether it's at work, whether it's in a school environment, whether it's a team environment, When you're forming a community, if you want to create 
depth of connection in a shorter amount of time. If you can give guidelines to how somebody can introduce themselves in a meaningful, purposeful way, it really unlocks the door to connection. Now, something that I'm thinking about is that in the group, we are all, for the most part, very willing to do this. And it was pretty much required that in our small groups, we had to do it. But in an environment like a corporate environment or a team environment, not every person might be willing to do this to build this type of connection. And I don't I don't know the answer to this. And, and Eileen, maybe you can speak to this. What do you do in a situation where somebody isn't willing to open up like that and give a positive introduction of any kind? Yeah, such a good question. And I think it's so important, regardless of where we are, that we meet people where they are. You know, it's really not about this is the assignment, buck up, you got to do it. It's, it's, this is the assignment and you take it where it's comfortable for you. And I think that allows people who do want to open up a little bit deeper, they can. People who want to stay a little bit more at the surface, that's okay too. What was really interesting in the example that you just gave where we were in the large group and we had one person share and that person, her name was pulled out of a hat, but we already had ground rules. If someone's name was pulled out of a hat and they didn't want to be the example, they did not need to be. That immediately created some trust. So there's a couple things is if you have somebody who's willing to go first, that can really set the tone and allow that door to be open to a little bit more vulnerability. People still have the choice to limit what they share. They are picking a story that resonates with them. And it doesn't have to be a tearjerker. It doesn't have to be where, you know, they found a cure for cancer. It doesn't have to be something earth shattering. It could be something really small that's meaningful and purposeful to them. And what we did find is some people shifted their story after hearing that first example. They had gone lighter and then they decided, you know what, I actually want to open up more. But it was on their own terms. It wasn't that it was mandatory. What are some other things that you notice? Like I've come up with a few different things that that I notice in the group and building a flourishing community. Like what kind of inputs do you have? Yeah, I think one thing is realizing we all have different strengths. And I know for me, that was really important because I do come to this field with some from with the I'm going to say more of the application, the master's is in applied positive psychology. So the A is the applied piece of it. In our work, we do a lot of the applied pieces in our day to day. There's other areas like research and stat, which I have not taken since I was in graduate school the first time, which was a long, long, long time ago. That area makes me more nervous. And there are other people in the class that that is their jam. And the applying piece are like, I'm a fish out of water. And so what's really nice in the community that builds trust, that builds camaraderie is to realize we all bring something. And again, it doesn't matter if you're in a school environment or an athletic environment, any other environment is to really think about what your own strengths are and to look for the strengths in others and then to lean on that. And we have created an incredibly, I was going to say active, maybe overactive, but it's really fun WhatsApp group and where people are sharing all different things. And that also helps to facilitate that community piece. And when people are feeling like, 
you know, this is tough that other people chime in and really knowing that nobody's doing this life alone, that we're all here to support one another and we can all lend our gifts to make the whole even better. Yeah, I love that. That's that's so beautifully said and a very good insight because there's like a word that people use that can be almost a hostile word. And I've been working on helping people not see this word in that one way. And I actually did an entire article and episode on it. And that word is competition. I heard people say this is a non-competitive environment to allude to the fact that this is a collaborative environment. And we could probably record another episode about that. (laughs) I don't think competitive needs to be hostile and competitive doesn't need to mean that I am not collaborating. So that's just that's just something I noticed that I wanted to point out for anybody listening and think about how you use the word competition and what that means to you. But what you said, Eileen, is that we're all going to have different strengths. And Mm -hmm. in a hostile competitive environment, we feel like we have to be better than everybody. And we have to hold those strengths over everybody else. And we have to have Mm -hmm. everything figured out and be perfect. Like that is kind of what a constricted competitive feeling is. But when you're in a group where there's positive competition, That means that you can look at people around you and say, I don't have to have strengths or be strong in the same way that the people around me are strong. Their strengths are their strengths, and I don't have to compete with their strengths. My strengths are my strengths, and together, we can all do better. We can raise up the entire level of the group with all of these different strengths instead of trying to compete against them. Yeah, and almost even get to a place of gratitude of, thank God, that there are people that are stronger in areas where I'm not, because those are my people, you know, those are the people I need to go to, to say, Hey, did you understand this? Or how do you do X, Y, and Z? Because for them, it might just come as second nature. Whereas for me, it's really not within my day to day. Yeah. And I also think that they've created an environment where we can ask a lot of questions openly and encouraging us to learn from each other instead of only learning from the instructor. Yeah. So that also gives an opportunity for people that have different strengths to be able to exercise those and the types of questions that they ask and the type of commentary that they give. Yeah. Without question. One other thing just to think about in terms of this competition versus collaboration, and probably there's a, a place where they both can live harmoniously, competition and collaboration, but depending on the environment. And so an environment like you compete in, obviously competition is is important that you're competing at the highest level possible and you do ultimately want to win. In this, there isn't as much winning. And I think that's probably also the nature of this program. What will win is if we tip the scales so the majority of the world is flourishing. That is our goal as a group is to help the world flourish it will not serve the world well if we're competing in this environment. So that's one thing. The other thing that Barbara Fredrickson said that I really love was that community helps build positive emotions and positive emotions help build community. It goes both ways. And so it's also in our best interest. We know positive emotions, when we have those flooding our body, it does broaden our view, both our actual view, our peripheral view, as well as our ability to be more creative, be more effective in in how we're living our lives, to have greater life satisfaction. And those positive emotions can also help to combat 
as Marty was saying, cardiovascular disease. So there's health implications too, to generating more positive emotions. So we want that happening. And if community can help that take place, I'm all for it. Okay, now we need to attempt to summarize all of these amazing ideas, which normally I kind of take notes when I'm podcasting, but today I haven't been. So we're going to we're going to do our best here and I'd love your help. So how about let's each let's just go back and forth volleying the key takeaways. Sounds good. Number 1, the communication is really important. The way in which we communicate to each other to create an environment of trust. Yes. Showing up with vulnerability and realizing I don't need to know everything. And there's a whole group of people around me who also want me to succeed and who I want to succeed. And leaning into that will help you thrive. Number three, as a leader, showing up with humility, knowing that you'll always be able to learn from anybody around you. And I'm going to say number four is be a student in life. And when we're a student in life, just like Marty Seligman, we let go of expectations and you can really open your brain, your mind, your heart, your body to absorbing, learning, and becoming even stronger and a better influence. And I'll put one more, the last one, and this is uh, just reflecting what we said a moment ago, is that look at the people around you and try to recognize their strengths so that you can build a tapestry of all of your strengths together to make the collective impact of the group even better. Oh, that's a perfect ending. (laughs) Well, Eileen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Personally, I'm excited to continue sharing with my community about how positive psychology impacts well-being and performance and how those intersect. And even this notion of competition which is another area that I'm really passionate about. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like the blessing in this program, like you said, is having a whole group of new best friends who are on the same mission. And I feel grateful for the privilege to learn alongside you. All right. And where can people find your podcast? Oh, yes. Thank you for asking. My podcast is What's Possible. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. And we blend leadership and well-being. So please come find us. We'd love to have you join the show. All right. Thanks, Eileen. Thank you. Thanks to Eileen for joining me on the show and make sure you check out her podcast, What's Possible. As you can see, she has a lot of very inspiring insights to offer. I'm excited to share with you everything that I'm going to learn this year in this very intense year in the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology or the MAP program at the University of Pennsylvania. If you listen to this podcast or you've known me for a while, you know that positive psychology and well-being has been my passion for 10 years. And the fact that I get to study with the world's top leaders and researchers and be on the cutting edge of what the field is doing means so much to me. As always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.